Welcome to this episode of Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. Josh Planos may very well represent the modern American media professional. He has a regular job. He's a public relations and communications director for the regional office of the Better Business Bureau right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. But he's also a sports writer, a freelance sports writer, doing a lot of work for the Sports Vertical at 538. When I'm writing, I write with my parents in mind, uh, my parents who don't like sports. So if this content is inaccessible to them, then I'm not doing a good enough job. So I think it's important to understand your audience and understand that your audience might not have a, a technical background and you're always going to leave somebody you know, out. But I really would hate to think that I was writing over anybody's head. Josh writes on the side. He writes a lot on the side, a lot of times on nights and weekends, and it's kind of what keeps him going. There are people out there who are full-time freelancers. I've never really felt like that's something that I wanted to pursue because again, I just always want to juggle multiple things. And frankly, full-time employment is, is very enticing for a variety of reasons. Insurance probably being top among them, but Really, it's, I do feel like I wouldn't be satisfied if I was just doing one thing. And that's what keeps me coming back to freelancing and what keeps me uh, you know, motivated and ambitious on the professional full-time track. Josh Planos is a freelance writer and a public relations specialist, but in a different life, it might be something else. There is something left unfulfilled by a single role I'm not sure, though, that if I was working full-time, say, as a sports writer, that I wouldn't be pursuing something else in addition to that, because, again, I, I like to juggle multiple things, and I've got multiple interests. Josh Planos with us this time around on Watch the Media. We now have the pleasure of chatting with Josh Planos, who is a little bit of everything in the media business. Right now, the Director of Public Relations and Communications for the Better Business Bureau, not just in Nebraska, and he lives in Lincoln, but in states and areas and regions surrounding, and also is a freelance writer, as he's described to me. Uh, he's always had a side hustle, and we're going to talk about that and other things with Josh. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, John. I'm happy to be here. Well, I, I'm happy to have you because I'm always happy to hear about um, what people are doing and how they're doing it and why they're doing it. And let's just start right here. You said, I've always had side hustles since I've been in college. Uh, describe that for us. What do you mean by that? Yeah, so that's really just shorthand for saying that I like to do multiple things at any given point in time. Uh, internships were critical as they still are uh, back when I was in college. So I always like to have at least one, if not multiple, um, to help me you know, pursue my passions while also being enrolled at school. So uh, I always like to juggle multiple things. I was born uh, and diagnosed with ADD when I was 12 years old. So I think that probably largely contributes to uh, that kind of scattershot brain uh, that I you know, deploy daily. But um, yeah, you know, I've, I've always liked to juggle multiple things at any given time. And so really, I've just extended that now that I'm uh, out of the classroom and into the real world. 
you know, some of us sort of extended things and, and we, we always had side hustles because we either lived in a big, really big place where it was very expensive to live and we needed an extra bit of work. So is this about doing what you'd like to do? It's about earning uh, an extra buck? Is it about those kinds of things? Well, sure. It's probably all of those things, right? Some, somewhere in the middle. Uh, certainly the, the compensation is nice. It's, it's not necessary. Uh, the the full-time jobs I've always had, I've been very lucky to not need to work additional hours, but I'm sure that if you were probing me psychologically, there, there is something left unfulfilled, which is why I am freelancing or contributing elsewhere in the first place. Again, I, I truly feel like I would do it uh, free of cost. Um, I'm a contributor to CNN Philippines. I've never been paid a single dollar to perform on their platform, and I've probably given... 30 to 40 TV hits, a uh, considerable amount of time, but it, I see that as an enjoyable experience and something that is helping me become a better uh, broadcaster. It's helping me become more well-rounded in, in my journalism. And certainly uh, it's, it's adding a new wrinkle to my skill set. So I've always seen it as beneficial and, and really an opportunity to talk about sports to me has never really felt like much of work in the first place. So I, I, I don't see why, why I wouldn't pursue something like that. Uh, but yeah, to, to get back to your question, I'm sure that um, there is something left unfulfilled by a single role. I'm not sure, though, that if I was working full time, say, as a sports writer, that I wouldn't be pursuing something else in addition to that. Because, again, I, I like to juggle multiple things and I've got multiple interests. You know, it's always fascinating in our line of work and communication. A lot of people have gone from the newspaper business into public relations. They've gone from broadcasting into public relations. You're in public relations and you're doing these other things. Um, how do you balance the two, though the jobs in many, in some respects, I'm sure are, are similar. I mean, you're communicating and you're writing and you're, and you're making relationships and all of those things. But how do you balance those two similar but different kinds of work? Well, I'm lucky in that they don't really compete with one another. Certainly, it would be a problem, right, if I was writing about uh, business ethics in a way that was, say, provocative, uh, that, that would conflict, right, with my current role with the Better Business Bureau. But luckily, you know, the subject matter is completely different. I've always felt empowered by my employer um, to pursue these different ventures. They always seem to think that, you know, it's kind of a fun little uh, piece of trivia about me. Um, it's never really been seen as a negative. And again, I, I keep very specific hours. Um, I, I work nine to five in my current full-time role. I do not do anything else during that time. So, um, you know, I, I'm respectful and appreciative of, of my full-time employment while also pursuing these new ventures. Uh, as, as you mentioned, your know, storytelling is really at the heart of, of all of it. So in a way, I feel like I'm just continuing what I'm doing for the BBB just in a, in a different, uh, through a different lens uh, with, with freelancing. I mean, sure, certainly, you know, reaching out and interviewing subjects is a lot different than, uh, you know, writing up uh, an annual marketing plan for a nonprofit organization. But I like to find the commonalities where I can get them. And storytelling seems to be at the heart of basically everything I've done professionally speaking. So much of, if not most of the work you do as a freelance writer is in sports. Is that correct? It is. Uh, the first big piece, though, that I actually got published was about a dementia village in the Netherlands. So that had nothing to do with sports, but that was something that uh, extended from 
my experience as a member of the UNL speech and debate team. I was the president there as the oldest student organization on campus, and it really formed, I think, a lot of who I am as a person. So uh, I have written about things other than than sports, but at least as of late, sports has been top of mind and uh, top of the keyboard. Okay, Josh, did I hear you say a dementia village? I did. Yeah, it's, it's a village. It's a village in the Netherlands uh, where everyone has dementia, and it's a completely innovative take on care for those who are uh, frankly mistreated in a lot of pockets of the world. There's a lot of certainly the the most likely uh, care is is of the clinical variety where you're essentially told that you're doing things incorrectly um, a lot of the time. And this is a village that's completely insulated. Uh, all of the caretakers wear the clothing that you would find in a typical village, and the villagers are, are completely unaware of the situation. There, if there's a, a post office, there's a movie theater, there's a restaurant, and they're essentially just living their lives in a village where they're not told that they're doing anything wrong. Uh, the reason why I care so deeply about that uh, initiative is I had a, had a grandmother, uh, multiple grandmothers actually passed away. Um, from Alzheimer's. And so it was something I gave a speech on when I was a member of the, the UNL speech and debate team. And when I graduated, it felt like the advocacy work wasn't done. And it was a story that I wanted to bring to a bigger audience. So that was really the genesis of that story getting published. So is that a kind of a story that an editor comes to you with, or you take that to an editor and say, I've got a fascinating story. Can you fund my trip to the Netherlands so I can tell this story? Um, I, I brought it to an editor because at that point I was just sending emails to two publications. I did not have a job right out of college. And so I had about two months that luckily I was able to spend uh, with my mom. And that was a real uh, kick in the pants that frankly I needed. Um, so I was able to you know, start sending emails and learning a little bit more about freelance culture. And that was really the first piece that I had cold pitched an editor. Josh Planos was so enamored with the dementia village in the Netherlands, he wrote and delivered a local TED Talk about it. Before she forgot whether she had already told us that story, before she asked how Brett Favre had played that Sunday despite the fact he had retired years ago, before she ceased to care about her eccentric clothing options, or about her margin of victory in cutthroat games of Scrabble. Before her doctor told my mother she couldn't continue living this way, and before my mother convinced her mother to uproot a life primarily spent in Illinois and travel 400 plus miles to Omaha into an assisted living facility before all of that. Patricia Rush was my grandmother she hugged my sister and I like the flood was coming every time we left her apartment. She never missed a birthday or sent a holiday card to my mailbox late. If she were still around, she would be one of the more than five million people in this country suffering from Alzheimer's, the sixth leading cause of death in the US. Strip away the harrowing stories just like hers and you'll find some very expensive numbers underneath. By 2050, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention projects treatment for Alzheimer's and dementias, of which there are more than 100, 
will cost the nation in excess of $1 trillion annually. Last year, $236 billion was spent on caring for those with Alzheimer's, including $46 billion out of pocket. That's like 100 times what the newest Star Wars film grossed at the box office. And any way you dice it, it's much more than the average family can afford. So, Josh, um, when did you wake up and say, I think I would like to do freelance writing? How did that develop? What, how did it come to this? Well, I always liked to write growing up. Um, like many journalists, I grew up pouring over the newspaper in the morning. I'd read the box score because sports, again, was, was pretty top of mind uh, a lot of the time. And I just felt like it was an itch that I had never scratched. I as much as I, I did get a bachelor's of journalism, my degree is in advertising and public relations. So I did not take many what I would consider journalism courses at UNL. And I just kind of, you know, fell back into it really rather late in the process. Uh, I also had a lot of time on my hands, given that I didn't have a full-time job at, at that moment. I was applying for positions. So uh, a big part of being on a speech team is, is writing speeches, right? So you get to scratch that itch in that sense, but there really is so much overlap between speech and journalism. It's frankly shocking that there aren't more former speech members who are current journalists uh, in today's, today's age. But um, yeah, it was really a, a combination of, of available time and where my interest was at that particular moment. Josh Planos is a freelance writer and the director of uh, public relations and communications for the Better Business Bureau. He's with us. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. So give us a little bit of an idea of uh, the process of, of uh, getting the idea, pitching, developing a freelance story. Let's say take a story that you've done recently that you developed and kind of run through the, um, the process for us, if you would, please. Sure. Well, the most recent coverage that I've contributed has been around the, the Beijing Olympics. Obviously, I'm based in Nebraska, so my perspective is not boots on the ground journalism. It is writing from afar. And I'm lucky enough to have pretty fully formed relationships with my editor there. And so in that sense, I was actually asked if I wanted to contribute to their Olympics coverage, uh, which is a great luxury and pretty rare in freelancing, right? There's a reason why there's a masthead and the masthead is assigned things. And the freelancer's job is really to, to find the area that isn't covered and then convince an editor why you're the perfect spokesperson or mouthpiece for that story. And so that's really what I did a lot of the time uh, initially was, was creating that relationship, sending out ideas, finding an adequate lane uh, with which to fill and uh, just recently, it's, it's turned into a, a pretty fruitful relationship in which um, I'm both 
being pitched and uh, pitching content to to publications. So who did you write for for the Olympics? Um, I wrote for 538. It's uh, a website that was founded by Nate Silver, formerly of the New York Times. And it's, you know, uh, data analysis uh, is really its core. So, um, you know, I write about uh, sports for their sports vertical, but certainly a lot of folks go there for their political coverage. So some advantage there in that the Beijing Olympics are are being uh, contested, were being contested a uh, dozen or 14 hours away from you. So whenever some action was going on, you didn't have to worry about the action. It was stuff that's going on around the Olympics, but not reporting on, let's say, the Russian figure skater who fell and didn't get the gold medal and all the controversy. It's a little different than that, right? You don't have to sit in the middle of the night and watch this stuff. Right. I mean, I, I choose to because I'm an avid, you know, consumer of Olympic coverage. So I was still right there with everyone else, you know, waiting for, for the results of the, the women's uh, figure skating uh, events. And, and certainly speed skating is always uh, something that I find very interesting uh, about once every four years. But I, I contributed a lot of preview pieces. So in that sense, it wasn't necessarily tied to the results. It was tied to previous results, which could have informed Beijing results. Uh, but certainly we, we had contributors who were reacting in real time to, to the events. My responsibility was mostly on the preview side. So I'm not going to ask you how much they pay you, but a person can make a decent living um, in an arrangement like this. Is that right? It is. And I have to thank 538 for their own by, by Disney. So they do a very good job of, I, I don't get 1099s anymore, I get W-2s. And I'm very thankful for that around tax season because there is not the, the hemorrhaging of, of dollars made, um, you know, uh, around tax filing season. So uh, certainly, you know, I, I, there are people out there who are full-time freelancers. I've never really felt like that's something that I wanted to pursue because again, I just always want to juggle multiple things. And Frankly, full-time employment is, is very enticing for a variety of reasons, insurance probably being top among them. But really, it's I, I do feel like I wouldn't be satisfied if I was just doing one thing. And that's what keeps me coming back to freelancing and what keeps me uh, you know, motivated and ambitious on the professional full-time track. So you said that um, your employers, your full-time employers, always known and they've supported it. So, so you go to the Better Business Bureau, you're working for them and you say, sure, I'd like to work for you as you go through the hiring process, but this is what I do on the side. I cannot, this is, it's going through my veins here. I cannot stop doing this other thing, right? I can't give up this mistress, this freelancing, right? So how do those conversations go when you say, I'm going to do this and they say, sure, it's okay. Uh, where do you draw the line? Well, I make sure on the front end that they're aware of it. I know it's very easy to just smile and nod at a lot of uh, agreements and stipulations uh, before you know the ink is dried on contracts, but I make sure that it is written into my contract that there is not going to be any non-compete clause. And again, it'd be totally different if I was working for CNN and that was my full-time lane was, was full-time journalist, but it is not. And because of it, it's never really been an issue because- Again, I, I perform with my full-time role as, as highly as I can. And it's just never really been, honestly, a, a point of contention. Uh, there were a couple of moments when I was at KETV Newswatch 7, that's the ABC affiliate in Omaha, where there was 
a little bit of friction, but it was to be expected. And to be fair, I was navigating uh, new terrain for the first time, right? That's the only time I've ever occupied a full-time journalism centered position and also freelanced on top of it. So um, that was just something to, to navigate. And frankly, I'm happy I went through it because it's helped me have honest and open conversations with all of my uh, employers ever since. So what about advertising and public relations could or would make you a better journalist? And what about journalism could or would make you a better advertising public relations, I'm sorry, public relations professional? Well, one thing that journalism taught me was to have a, a better pursuit of empathy when speaking with others and really never losing sight of what the heart of the message is. And I think that's pretty clearly translatable into public relations. Sure, you might not be interviewing folks on the worst day of their life, but you still don't want to lose sight of the message. Certainly, it's helped my right uh, each you know, freelancing and public relations have helped uh, one another uh, by me having more and more writing reps. Um, I don't think you can ever have enough. And certainly the, the writing style might be completely different, but the act of writing is a muscle that needs to be stretched in different ways. And I've always felt comfortable to write to any number of sports, any number of disciplines. And I feel like they, they benefit each other in, in some ways. There are some, some weeks, months even, where it feels like they're completely unrelated. But when it comes to the heart of writing, which is the, the root of a lot of what I'm doing at the BBB, um, certainly being able to freelance and, and you know, sentence structure, syntax, grammar, you name it, all of that is, is beneficial in its own sense to, to continually uh, refine and improve, um, regardless of what it is that you're writing. We mentioned it a couple times now, CNN Philippines. And joining us now for an all-out preview of the NBA All-Star Weekend is sports writer Josh Planos. Josh, welcome back to the program, buddy. Thanks so much for having me, Andre. Always a pleasure to have you. He's live, by the way, from Nebraska. Josh, before we take a look at the big game, let's talk about the side defense really quick. During All-Star Weekend this year, the skills challenge will be done in groups. Uh, what did you think of that format? You know, I'm just excited to see it in action. I think the determination seemed to be made with entertainment in mind, mm -hmm, which mm -hmm. is what All-Star Weekend is all about, right, about yeah, right? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's all about putting fans in the stands. It's great that the players will be forced to shoot and pass from different distances to prevent guys from rinse repeating the same motion over and over again. So uh, I'm really excited to see how it all plays out. All in all, I think the challenge was due for a refresh, and I'm glad yeah, the league yeah. is giving it to us. Yeah, yeah. You, you got Giddy Cunningham and the, the rookies there, Scotty Barnes. That'll be tough to beat. And Dante Tukumper bros. That's interesting as well. Of course, the, the Cleveland boys. Uh, how about the three-point contest? We I mentioned earlier, you heard me mention the participants. Who do you have here as a favorite? No Steph Curry there, no Clay Thompson here. Uh, Desmond Bain, Kennard, Levine, Mills, Van Vliet, McCollum. Ice tray, who do you have? I'm going with Fred Van Vliet. It's Ooh. his first ever All-Star game appearance. Yeah, yeah. Right, He's going to want to make a splash. 
I remember seeing him shoot off a rack at Wichita State, which is actually a huge advantage, just simply having Ooh. gone through those motions. Yeah, yeah. It's really difficult if you've never done it previously. And he just got engaged, right? He's playing the best ball of his career. Everybody's not talking about him, which seems to fuel his fire. So I really like Fred's chances. as How in the world did that relationship get started? That's a real classic case of uh, now's the, the best time you could probably ever be a writer um, and have your work picked up halfway around the world. When I was at KTV, I wrote a profile of a basketball player named Kobe Paras, who is Filipino, and he spent, I think, about a semester at Creighton University. One thing you should know about the Philippines is they are rabid sports fans and no sport holds higher standing than basketball. And it was really just the confluence of those two things, right? It was one of their own who was at a university down the street from me and it's their prize sport. And in reading it, um, they reached out and asked if, you know, I wanted to come on and, and, and talk about it. Uh, of course I said, yes, I thought it was, you know, being scammed, frankly. Um, and the relationship just kind of took off from there. Um, the kindest people. Um, and, uh, I really feel like I've, you know, grown, um, relationships over there. I've, I've thought actually pretty frequently the past few years about, uh, traveling to Manila and, and seeing some of the folks who I've met only over zoom, right. Um, over the past five-ish years, of course, COVID kind of put, you know, the brakes on, on that idea, but at some point I would really like to go over there and, um, just thank them for, you know, um, opening me up to a new audience. Certainly I've got, uh, you know, a readership in the Philippines that, I mean, what, what are the odds, right? That somebody in, in Omaha, Nebraska would connect with a country half a world away and purely out of, you know, your, your work was read online. Um, that's, you know, as much of a, a 21st century story as I think anyone could have. So how does it work now? They call you up and say, uh, we want to do five minutes on Saturday night about something. Um, is it as simple as that? Or is it a, a rather more complicated process? No, it's essentially that, um, you know, it's a lot of Twitter direct messaging. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the, the, the essence of it is, is they reach out if, if they need a guest and, you know, I nearly always say I'm, I'm available because I am and I want to be there for them, just like I know that um, I, I know that that's that's what they're looking for. And um, frankly, I like talking to the folks who, you know, both the folks on air and the folks behind the scenes, uh, you know, those are real relationships and they might seem strange to someone who, you know, uh, ha has never been on Zoom before, but I never would have thought that they would have happened in the first place. And I'm just, you know very grateful for them. So yeah, they will reach out and ask if, um, if I know anything about tennis, if I know anything about basketball, though at this point they know that I'm, I have an understanding of both. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, very, very pleased, uh, to, to have that relationship and, um, to be able to, to contribute there. You know, all the years during my professional broadcast career, I would do these things and I would do, um, many of them for free, uh, hits like this for free. Explain to the to the listener to the to the audience why you would make such a commitment to do that and not um, ask for or expect any kind of uh, remuneration. 
like I said, I mean, I feel very lucky to do this. There are a thousand of me who are probably waiting in the wings for, you know, a call like that. And I've always seen it as an honor to be able to contribute to something that is so much bigger uh, than myself. I never went to college thinking I would do TV. I never went to college thinking I would write about sports. And now it's just, um, you know, again, it found me at the, at the perfect moment. So I, it's never, truly never been about money. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have done it. Um, and I, I, it's as simple as that. It really is. I mean, for, for as much as, as it is an investment time-wise, um, I feel like I'm growing new muscles every time I do it. I'm learning something different about myself. I'm learning something uh, about how I, how I can get better um, at, at refining talking points, at refining my writing, because it really is a word economy exercise, right? It, assuming you get the questions ahead of time, I'm well aware that I have 25 seconds to respond to a question. Um, the, I think the first time I did an interview, I probably talked nonstop for two minutes, and I'm sure they wanted to end the call immediately. But you know, again, you learn something every time. Uh, you go on air, you learn something uh, about yourself every time you go on deadline. And I see that as a real luxury and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, well, the NBA All-Star Game will tip off on Monday, Josh. That's Philippine time. Uh, lots of drama leading up to the midseason classic, including that uh, hilarious draft, of course, James Harden leaving uh, Kevin Durant, wanting that trade out of Brooklyn, uh, wanting to go to Philly. Unfortunately, neither Katie nor the Beard will be playing here. What are you most uh, excited about or looking forward to in this year's uh, NBA All-Star Game? Every year I say the same thing, and it's that I'm still waiting for the slam dunk contest to capture that feeling yeah. it had in 2003 yeah. with Jason Richardson. Yeah, uh, We had a few moments like that with Aaron Gordon a few years ago, yeah. but it's nothing him, compared yeah. to the way it was with Jordan and, and uh, you know, and and everyone Carter else is. back yeah. in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You know, it's mostly graduated to become a sideshow as opposed to the main event. And when I was growing up, it was always the main event. So I think it'd be fantastic to see Jalen Green light that spark for the event. And I think he has the talent to do it. How about the uh, All-Star Game? Anything in particular you're looking forward to seeing there? Like, uh, you know, watching and probably thinking who might be the MVP of that All-Star Game be? Yeah, you know, I, I think last year and, and even the year before, we saw defense actually come into yeah, play. Yeah. And that's never been the case, right? Yeah. So it's nice to see them actually compete with one another and not just treat it solely as an exhibition. Of course, it should be fun. But... You need to have that tension for it to feel like a sporting event. And I yeah. feel like we got that the past two years. So I hope that that, uh, you know, continues on in 2022. Josh Planos does public relations and all that goes with it. And he's a freelance writer, and as you've heard, he does some television work as well with CNN Philippines. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. So you balance this work 
um, with your full-time job and you said nine to five, I work nine to five and I don't, these other things don't interfere with it. I do the freelance work at nights and weekends. How do you keep up the energy and how do you try to make sure that it doesn't get to be too much for either your full-time job or your freelance work? I mean, coffee mostly. Uh, I, I drink a lot of it. Um, I have a, a wife who is very supportive and truly I know that it can be straining to come home at the end of the day and think, well, I can't really even talk to my husband tonight because he's writing on deadline. Um, very appreciative uh, that she is as supportive as she is and as considerate as she is. Uh, but really it's, it's time management. Um, I know that I have a sweet spot right before work where I've had my coffee and I've had my medication and I've had my breakfast and I've got about 30 minutes before work and I really get a lot of it done then. Um, and then the hope is that I can just have the stamina necessary to, as soon as five o'clock rolls around, go, go ahead and complete that assignment. Um, I also have editors who are very understanding. Um, I've never had an issue with deadlines. Um, I frankly have never missed a deadline. And it's just, I, I, I like having that clock, that, that unspoken clock just kind of, you know, rolling in my head at, at all times. So it's, it's nice to, um, to be on deadline and to know, you know, the work needs to be done by, by X. Um, but uh, I guess that's a long way of saying I drink coffee and uh, time management skills have improved certainly since I was a freshman in college. So you're a very young man still, and you have all these experiences you're working on. You wake up one day and say, this is exactly what I want to do. I want to take all these things I've learned in the last eight or 10 years that I've been cobbling together into this beautiful stew of a job, but I can only have a little bit of that stew and, and confine myself to doing only that. Uh, what do you think it would be? That is a great question. Um, I should have known doing a podcast with a journalist that, uh, that I would get some, some, some probing, uh, uh, world shattering questions. I think, I mean, storytelling is such a cop-out answer, but it really, I, I need to tell stories. Um, what those stories are, it, it depends on the day, but I really do feel unfulfilled if I am not sharing stories of some variety. And truly you can do that in public relations. I know that you know there are folks in PR who get a bad rap and it's it's spin and you know you were looking for more job security and that's why you're not in journalism anymore. But I got a degree in advertising and public relations. I have, I have skills there that I enjoy applying and writing frankly is at the heart of a lot of them. I mean, sure. It might start as a story and turn into an infographic. It might start as a story and turn into a marketing plan, but it started as a story. And the work that went into creating that story was real and uh, it left me fulfilled. So storytelling is really the, the heart of, of why it is that I go to freelancing. Um, you know, I could wake up tomorrow and want to write a story about, uh, you know, something completely outside the realm of sports and it wouldn't be surprising to me, uh, but it's, it's the art of storytelling that keeps me coming back to the craft. And uh, I really hope I never lose that. Without betraying any of the great ideas and, and allowing anybody to steal anything from you, I'll, I'll ask you this. What is, the, what is a big story right now that is just grinding in you that you have to do the work on and you have to tell and you, you got to do it soon? Well, I just filed a story about the ACC basketball conference and how 
uh, horribly they've been playing for the past three seasons. So that that was something that was that was churning for for a bit. But in terms of reporting and um, you know multi uh, multi perspectives that needed to be applied to a story, um, I've essentially taken on a role as like the de facto name, image, and likeness reporter at Five Thirty Eight. I've written all of their stories uh, about NIL. Um, and one that has gotten top of mind is, is uh, both Jersey sales and how that revenue is distributed, if at all. It depends on the state, of course, um, but also the high school arena um, that it's creating and the high school arms race that it's creating. Uh, because it's not just folks who are on college campuses who are being compensated. It's folks who are in high school. And soon it'll be folks who are in middle school and it will continue to trickle down and it'll be its own ecosystem. And so that's something that I, I know I want to report out um, at this point. It's just an idea. Um, certainly, I've talked to, to sources who have um, cued me uh, up for, for you know, certain interview ideas and, and certain angles. But uh, that's something that, that will be um, uh, coming shortly. Are the folks in Lincoln as good at doing NIL as they tell you they are? Is Open Doors really the, the center of this storm? Um, and maybe trying to find some, you know, vacuum in the middle of that storm. Uh, are they uh, as good as they say they are? That's a tricky question. And in the interest of maintaining those relationships, I will say yes. And uh, Open Door is uh, is doing a fantastic job. There's a reason why they're connecting with athletic departments around the country. It is a great luxury that UNL has it in its backyard. And I'm sure that they are taking advantage of it to the best of their abilities, but it is a real, real uh, great, great thing to, to have for the student athletes. And I think it's been, you know, a positive relationship. I'm sure Open Doors and UNL would speak to it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's incredible, right? I mean, who would have thought that there would be, you know, uh, something of an epicenter right next to, to campus in downtown Lincoln? You know, I didn't really want to get off on NIL, but since you brought it up, I mean, it really is, um, it, this is a horrible metaphor because it's been used so many times, but it really is the Wild West. There really aren't any rules. There are people with their metaphorical uh, six guns strapped on walking down uh, toward the OK Corral um, and crazy things are going on because there really isn't a whole lot of oversight, right? There's no regulation. It's just, here it is, right? I mean, it really kind of got vomited into existence and everybody, I feel for compliance departments around the country because they had to adapt on the fly. We had Supreme Court case involved and, you know, really they, they need direction. These states need direction from the federal government. And I know you can't just, uh, you know, s speed dial the federal government and get, get these laws, you know, put in place, but it really has left compliance departments uh, out in the wind, it's left certainly international athletes. That was a piece that I'm really proud of. I wrote about international student athletes in the age of NIL who are effectively told, here's a great opportunity. You can't be a part of it. And uh, it's it's devastating. And not only devastating, but it, there are real um, legal consequences that could have resulted from the lack of transparency and the lack of foresight from the NCAA, um, from athletic directors around the country, uh, from compliance, it's, you know, nobody's hands are, are completely clean and we had all the time in the world to think about it. Uh, and unfortunately it just got uh, 
punted and punted until it was time to go and nobody was ready. And uh, so that's something that um, is troubling. I would hope that there would be a little bit more direction uh, moving forward. It's you know still the first year of its existence. So uh, you know a lot of growing pains to be sure. Last NIL question, I promise. And that is, it's, it's the notion of some, and I think I agree with this, that NIL is really a clever scheme that, that is supported by athletics. It's supported by these giant athletic departments and this billion dollar college sports industry, because the players who will be compensated at some point, we know that the Supreme Court has basically said, bring on another case because you can't. You can't keep going like this without paying them. But this scheme is brilliant because at this point anyway, while they're trying to get their act together, a third party is paying them and they're not taking any money out of their own hundreds of millions of dollars of funds of, of college athletic money. Is that a fair way to look at it? I mean, you're asking me in, in, my, in my current role, yes. Um, I'm sure I would have a very different answer if I was in you know, a, a different industry, certainly if I was within the athletic department, but yeah, it sure seems like the school should be on the hook for the money. Um, and fortunately it just seems like they're washing their hands completely clean. And, and these, like, as you mentioned, third parties are, are stepping in to facilitate the transactions. Um, it's, it's a lot of word jargon and not a lot of transparency. And the hope was that this would bring dollars into the light and, Maybe that's an idealistic version of, of what could happen. That's not the way it is working right now. I'm afraid there's a lot of dark money. There's a lot of stuff going on that um, I'm sure you're learning and um, I'm, I'm learning as well that um, uh, one hopes can be <laughs> regulated and, and fixed soon. So anyway, enough of the NIL. One last thought here. You want to continue um, at this, you know, what you're doing now, the way you're doing it now, um, uh, for a while. Is that is that the is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, if uh, these publications will continue to have me, I will continue to write for them. Um, hope the hope is that I'm getting better. Uh, you know, at, at freelancing, the hope is that I'm getting better at uh, being, you know, a, a full time employee um, in PR and communications. Uh, I see no signs of, of stopping. Um, there's no part of me that wants to, to quit either uh, pursuit. Um, an MBA might be in the future. We were talking, you know, offline a little bit earlier about, uh, you know, potential uh, graduate degrees down the road, but um, those degrees would not veer off course or take me to a completely different industry. They would just be opportunities to refine um, my responsibilities and skills in my current role. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be more of the same moving forward. Um, but, uh, yeah, no plans to, to veer off course. What would uh, Josh Planos of today tell that 22 year old kid who was getting out of college about, um, what you've gotten into or what you, you could get into, what would you tell him that might make the journey either easier or more explainable? I would tell him to stop chewing his fingernails. Um, it seemed like it took a pandemic for me to stop doing something that I had done pretty much my whole life and could have saved myself a lot of pain if I had just 
uh, ceased that, uh, that, that hideous, um, vice of mine. But, uh, one, another thing I would say is, uh, you know, aim, aim a little higher. Um, I had this idea that I would just write forever for my friends and family. And honestly, that seemed like it was enough. It seemed perfectly reasonable and, and fulfilling, but, um, if I told myself that the work would lead to where it's gotten me, um, I don't know. I don't know that I would even tell myself that, right? Because maybe that prevents me from pursuing it as as hard as I did. And hmm, I think I was scared of deadlines initially, and I would tell myself to embrace them a little bit more um, because now I, I absolutely love them. And frankly, it's like almost paralysis um, that sets in when when I don't have them. And so I, to tell myself to, to be comfortable uh, growing some new muscle and, you know, being put in a situation where you have to produce something in a timely manner, uh, that's going to be a good thing. And that's going to benefit not just your writing, that's going to benefit your ability to get groceries, that's going to benefit your ability to take your dog on a walk. Uh, it's going to apply everywhere. And it's, it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. So how many of these pieces are you churning out, uh, let's say, every month? Well, it would depend on the month. Um, it is a lot more uh, seasonal isn't, isn't right either though. It's, I would say the NCAA tournament is coming up. And so I know that I will produce at least one piece a week through the end of the NCAA tournament. Um, I have kind of found my niche at 538. They have somebody who is full-time employed to cover the NFL. I know I'm not going to be asked to write about the NFL but they don't have somebody who's full-time employed to cover college football. So I know that's an opportunity for me to contribute. Um, this is a long way of saying I probably write about uh, three to four pieces a month for 538, but it certainly varies um, based on uh, interest and volume and whether or not full-time employees are going on vacation. Uh, you know, there are any number of variables that, that influence that figure. And generally, how long does it take you to, to turn a piece out or does that vary as well? That, that varies as well. Um, there are pieces that require extensive reporting that would take months. Uh, there are also pieces that I have turned around thinking about when Tiger Woods won the Masters. I wrote that in three hours. So, um, you know, there's a very wide spectrum. I would say the majority of the pieces take three to four days. Well, um, thank you so much for your time, Josh. I, I've enjoyed the conversation. The second time we've had a chance to do this and I learned um, just as much or more the second time around as I did the first. And so again, congratulations on the work you're doing and, um, and uh, the good work you're doing. It's not just the work you're doing, but the good work you're doing. And uh, I appreciate you sharing some time with us. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's truly an honor. Absolutely. Josh Planos is the Director of Public Relations and Communications for the Better Business Bureau. Not sure if I got all of this right, but for Nebraska, South Dakota, part of Iowa, part of Kansas, anyway, uh, does that nine to five. And then, um, and then he does a lot of writing and reporting and um, um, watching sports and occasionally gets up in the middle of the night and does stuff with CNN Philippines. And he's been with us on Watch the Media. Thanks, Josh. Thank you.
Josh Planos, public relations specialist and freelance writer with us this time around on Watch the Media. I'm John Schrader. We come your way from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln in the College of Journalism and Mass Communications and in the studios of 90.3 FM, KRNU.